This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Ukraine. Atrocities in Izium. This is the story of a survivor. We're getting to that police station. He takes us in the second lower floor and he recognizes his cell. Armand Soldin telling the story of a 68-year-old man who took them to one of the torture centers. Where he was staying, he told us at first with four other people, then six, then eight, and he lost the counts. He said that he was beaten, that he was hearing a lot of screams coming around, that he was going on for 24-7. He was beaten with a metal bar. On his arm until they broke it. And according to Soldin, this was a dark place where people lost track of time. And we also saw like marks on the wall. We saw like proper calendar of marks on the wall indicating days for, for the prisons to, to keep track. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. For more than seven months now, we've heard about, and in some cases witnessed on video, atrocities that have taken place in Ukraine at the hands of Russian soldiers. There is new evidence of more atrocities in eastern Ukraine, in the city of Izium. Armand Soldin, a reporter from AFP, visited the site. Armand, thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Um, there, there, there is a lot of horror going on in Ukraine, and it's been going on for years. Um, uh, but this latest phase in the Russian invasion of Ukraine has left a lot of carnage across the country, and the latest took place in Izium, and I believe you've been there and you've seen some of this carnage. So um, can you just uh, start off by telling me what you saw there? So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I was in Izium the last uh, three days, and um, we went there actually when we heard the news that they found uh, more than 400 graves outside the cemetery in Izium and uh, probably a mass grave. So we immediately headed there. It was a very misty morning, I remember. It was three days ago, and so... Of course, when we heard the news of more than 400 people uh, being potentially have been killed or executed, we didn't know at the, at the point. So we immediately headed there to the misty woods of outside the cemetery of Izium. And once there, I mean, I was the, uh, there was only AFP, then Reuters, the photographer and Radio Free Europe journalist there very early in the morning, because that day was the day that uh, the Ukrainian authorities also uh, organized a press tour that would only arrive in the afternoon. So we went there in the morning sort of fresh and uh and i mean it was a bit of a a bit of a shock because i mean you have to imagine this which usually should be potentially very beautiful forest and all of a sudden all these cross starting to appear uh from nowhere in the in the mist in that morning and so cross after cross and anonymous cross for most of them actually only with only figures written on them and all of a sudden we see some forensic police uh forensic military actually not police at first starting to dig 
this place by the crosses and uh, and they immediately told us that they saw a cross with written 17 uh, Ukrainian army 17 people from the morgue in Izium and so they were starting to dig these bodies out so these was these were probably soldiers uh, Ukrainian soldiers that were moved from the morgue into this mass grave so they were in black body bags and um and then on the side, we saw all the, the mining teams arriving as well to sort of check if there were any booby traps or uh, unexploded devices around the crosses. We saw some of the uh, graves were not anonymous. We saw some people actually uh, flourish them. We saw some uh, some graves with names, but we saw, I mean, uh, dozens and dozens. And we'll learn later only that they, they will be uh, around 440, 445. But, uh, but the number of people buried there, is still unknown because we, we still don't know if uh, one grave corresponds to only one person. So far, uh, it seems to be the case. I mean, uh, we went there as well yesterday and we had a, an update with the prosecutor and there was only so far one official mass grave and it concerns these 17 soldiers uh, that were buried there. Armand, we've been hearing and seeing some images of, of people that had their hands tied and feet bound and have you seen anything like that during uh, what you've seen? So the, the first day we were, I, I didn't assist uh, to the exhumation of civilians that happened in the afternoon, but one of my photographers was there. They saw for the first time people with tight hands. At first there was news of, um, of people being buried with ropes around their neck. That didn't uh, actually, uh, wasn't the case that day. So uh, I remember Reuters had retracted, but yesterday uh, we've done uh, again a little trip to Izium to speak to the prosecutor uh, because it's, of course, there's a lot of legal people out there and we wanted to, for them to give us at least a little update because a lot of things have been written and it's very complicated to report on this because words have sort of meaning because like a lot of people or media uh, might have um, rushed into conclusions saying uh, it's one mass grave of 440 people. So that, for example, not exactly the case. So there's only one mass grave, I repeat, of 17 people, soldiers, and then a lot of civilians. And regarding these civilians, yes, there were people who uh, were tied with tight hands. Uh, yesterday, the prosecutor confirmed to us that they found one person with a rope against, uh, uh, sorry, around the, the neck. And uh, surprising, the new uh, fact that he told us yesterday was that they found a lot of people with uh, stabbing wounds. Uh, uh, and in particular, this one woman who seemed to have been stabbed multiple times. Once again, he insisted that uh, these bodies need to go through uh, a proper autopsy. And that will be the case in the nearby big town of Kharkiv. So and that we will be updated, but yes, there were there were there were signs of uh, of mistreatment at least, probably torture. Yeah. Uh, and they still haven't found so far uh, people with uh, executions. Yeah. Uh, they said they're not looking for them. They don't hope for them, but they think there might be uh, several ones. And one last thing, yesterday, by my eyes, um, I saw actually the exhumation of a former soldier uh, who fought back in 2014. And he uh, was hands tied in front and not at the back like the other person. So we have at least two people with tight hands and he had his pants lowered. So, of course, obviously, we don't know the conditions of, um, of, 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 of how everything happened. But yes, there, there seems to, to have happened some, some pretty nasty things. Have you ever seen anything like this before? 
this is the the first war I'm reporting on, and uh, I'm originally from Bosnia. I'm from uh, from uh, from Sarajevo, so we we've seen some very how to say um, obscene. Uh, uh, some some pictures come back to my head about Srebrenica and places like that where where some war crimes have been committed. So me, it's the first time I cover a war, and I was in Bucha actually. Actually, I uh, and and in Bucha we had also the same case of this mass grave with uh, some people from the morgue that has been transported there, but also people who have been executed, uh, people who have been just dumped there, people who are actually unrecognizable, and the people who will have to do. Um, DNA tests and stuff like that to be able to be identified. So uh, no, it's the first time that uh, that I, I, I cover a war and it's the first time I actually discover all these atrocities. Yeah. So um, we've been hearing as well about these torture centers. I've seen some photographs too. Have you seen any of those and where are they and what do they look like? So yeah, no, there've been a lot of talks about torture these days, and uh, and obviously yesterday we returned to Izium, um, and we we heard about this police station of Izium, one of the police stations, where apparently some some um, some torture had happened in the in the basement. So um, so we wandered a little bit around. You have to know that like it's very complicated to move through checkpoints and stuff like that because obviously the authorities want to have a little control on like who goes where and when. Uh, and uh, because also we don't know about explosive devices and, uh, and it's a huge, huge area that's been liberated recently. So it, it will take a bit of time to sort of secure it. However, we, we found the, um, the police station. We didn't want to wander into it without finding uh, someone who had been there. So we found this, uh, this man called Mihailo, who is 68. He was actually still um, in the hospital nearby. Uh, and he had his arm broken and uh, and a pretty bad beating uh, in his um, kidneys and stuff. So he had like a urinary bag on his. So he wasn't like he, he was not in the best shape possible. And so, um, but he he gladly accepted to come with us to to the police station to show us uh, and tell us the story uh, of his story. So we 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 got to this abandoned uh, police station where there was still some um, Russian inscriptions, because you need to know like that uh, the Russian administration stayed in Izium for from April 1st to all the way recently. So uh, so actually they, they already installed the administration and they, they started actually, how to say, taking hold. So uh, so we, we, we're getting to that police station. He takes us in the second lower floor and he recognizes his cell where he was staying with, he told us at first with four other people, then six, then eight, and he lost the counts. He said that he was beaten, that he was hearing a lot of screams coming around, that he was going on for 24-7, that he wasn't actually being tortured in the room itself, but there was a little room on the floor just above where they were beating him with a metal bar uh, on his arm until they broke it. So we need to, we're talking about a man who's 68. And, uh, and apparently what the Russian authorities had against him was that they thought that he had given uh, the coordinates of one of the schools where Ukrainian uh, Russian forces were stationed. They were, got bombed uh, in um, in 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 uh, it was in March or, or April. So um, so that was his crime, yeah. and uh, and so yeah, no, he said that he heard a lot of uh, shouting, a lot of screams. There were women, men. That uh, there was a lot of coming and going. That uh, and we also saw like marks on the wall. We saw like a proper calendar uh, of marks on the wall indicating the days for, for the prisoners to, to keep track. He spoke about electric batons. He spoke about beating with the metal bar. He spoke about electricity. 
Um, so a lot of services uh, had ha have happened, seem to have happened in uh, in the in the that dungeons on the Displaced Station Museum. So a uh, couple more things, very quickly. H how are the people of Izium reacting now that oh this has been discovered? Because clearly they knew this was happening, but they were under occupation. They couldn't, you know, get out. They couldn't connect. So how are the people in that area now doing? You need to know, I mean, it's, it's a really complicated area and it's a very complicated city as is you because we're very close to, to Russia. So there's a big Russian influence. People are Russophones. There's a there's a big amount of people who had left with the Russians. They had people actually first who left with the Ukrainians when the Russians arrived. So there's all these people who were pro-Ukrainians who left. Those who didn't leave but were still pro-Ukrainians were then tortured or beaten. Or at some point, also you need to understand there's no there's no gas, there's no electricity, there's no food. So at some point, some people had started accept, accepting the humanitarian aid given by the Russian forces. And so these people now who stayed actually during the occupation are considered as collaborators. And actually now there's a bit of a reversal of the role. So it's a very tense situation for everyone because if you had, for example, I remember the, the first day when we saw Izium, there's this big square uh, the main square of the town in Izium, and you have the town hall, which is totally burned down. There's the hospital, so it's a huge square. And we saw something quite crazy. People just because they just got liberated, they, these people have spent for most like four months, almost like completely in their houses without going out because there was the military curfew. And so these people coming out in this square, seeing their neighbors, seeing their friends, seeing who's gone, who's not gone. And actually started arguing all the time. It was a it was a, a special moment because, and we were like trying to understand what was going on. And we immediately saw that some people were not happy that some people were accepting um, humanitarian aid. Of course, some people collaborated even more. They were given coordinates of Ukrainian forces and stuff like that. So there was really big, big arguments, and they were all waiting for the mayor who wouldn't show his face because at the beginning of the conflict, he said, "Those who do not leave the city, those who stay under the Russian occupation, are traitors." So there was a lot of things going on at that square. It was almost seeing some, I don't know, almost democracy in a way, because people were shouting and arguing, and these arguments between these old ladies, these old men, and the, the arguments were like, oh, you accepted um, uh, Russian uh, human, uh, food ration? You sold Ukraine for ration, for example. Those were the, 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 the attacks. There were people who were, were shouting to each other. There were people also who, who have friends or neighbors who disappeared. I met a woman who hasn't seen his, her husband since the beginning, for example, those are like the, the bad stories, unfortunately, that, that also happened. Yeah. But uh, but also they discovered a lot of their neighbors have left as well back uh, to, not back, sorry, but went with the Russians. Uh, they retreated together because they were scared as well of the consequences uh, now that the Ukrainians are, are, are holding the city uh, again. That's a very sad, complex situation there. Um, very last thing, uh, just briefly, can you you have any any thoughts that you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think are important? Mm, so I uh, know we touched upon the torture. We touched. I mean, the, the real complication is this uh, information war that is going on, of course, between the two parties, and it's very difficult for us here reporting. Uh, to, to know what is true, what is not true. And it's very difficult because, I don't know, the whirlpool of news wants to go too fast sometimes. And sometimes we even, how to say, um, short-circuited by people in, uh, in in the West, let's say, for example, who thinks they know something or they've read something on the social media and things like that. The situation is still very tense. I mean, for example, uh, I'm based in Kramatorsk right now. Um, so I'm not too far from, from those places. I'm like 70 kilometers and stuff like that. But we still, for example, experience a lot of uh, bombing. So like there's this... 
uh, I guess, uh, wishful thinking that uh, the Ukrainian counteroffensive has been so effective and has been so, uh, how to say, uh, astonishing. It's true. However, the war continues and it continues big time. <laughs> and the Russian forces have not retreated that far. It looks impressive. Of course, when you look at the map and stuff like that, but they're not too far. And uh, and we've seen from reports and from the, the announcement from the Russian authorities and the, the and obviously Moscow, that they will not stop at this war and they, they will take whatever it takes to, to continue and take as much territory of, of this country. Armin Soldin, reporter and videographer for Agence France Press in Ukraine. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Russia's massive troop mobilization and Vladimir Putin's nuclear threats. The big question is how will this impact Ukraine's military? It doesn't, JJ. We understand that Russians have uh, very serious problems with their personnel. Yuri Sack is an advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Defense. We know that you know we have destroyed more than 55,000 Russian invaders on the battlefield. Sack says Russia's military cannot likely achieve any of the goals that have been put out before them. They are demoralized, they're degraded, they are not motivated. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans. Come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It With The Coves, now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts. <laughs>